inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Outlook. We'll be with you here today up until noon and I have Carrie on the uh, phone here. Yeah, hi. Today we have a guest and I'm very excited to introduce him. Um, yeah, so our guest today is somebody I knew back in 1998 and we reconnected recently. We hadn't spoken in about 20 years, basically. So um, we found, I found, found him on Facebook, and I asked if he might want to be on the show today. So basically, um, we met at Guide Dog School in 1998. And um, yeah, his name is Ed. And hi, Ed, if you want to introduce yourself. Good morning, Terry. Thank you for yourself and Brian inviting me to be on the show. Um, Thank you. I uh, I live in St. John's, Newfoundland, out on the East Coast. For those who are wondering, I'm sure uh, some of you may already pick that up from my East Coast accent. So, uh, I guess Carrie and I met in 1998 at La Foundation Mira, which is in the southern part of Quebec, when we were both uh, there to uh, train with guide dogs. So, we're going back... I guess a little bit over 20 years, and we recently reconnected with one another uh, via Facebook. I wouldn't say I am one or the other, but um, in this world, sometimes you ask somebody, what are you? And what you mean is, are you a cane person, like a cane user or a guide dog user? Are you, do you prefer the white cane, or do you prefer having a guide dog when possible? And... Would you say, Ed, that you're a guide dog person, or not necessarily? I think you, I think you are more than me. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely a dog person. Uh, I much prefer to travel with a dog versus uh, using a white cane. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've done both um, throughout my life. Right. But I much prefer traveling with a dog uh, now having I had four of them over approximately the last 20 years. Right. So like to Brian and I, who, um, you know, we're siblings, so we grew up in the same house. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm the big sister. He always wanted to do what I did. Right, Brian? Oh, Carrie has a guide dog. I should get one, too. Right? Is that how it went? (laughs) Yeah, I'm always copying you. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so we, Brian and I both had one guide dog each, but we're back to being cane users. And it's, it's, it's a question we get a lot now that we've had one guide dog each. Um, I'm sure blind people in general would get that question. Have you, have you had a guide dog? Would you consider getting one? But um, I was 14 in 1998 when I, my um, mobility instructor, so the one who had been teaching me cane skills, she suggested that I might do well with a guide dog for high school. So I went the summer before I went to high school, and that was my first time being away from home. I'm not sure if I talked about it on the show before, but uh, you know, as a 14-year-old, it was pretty scary to go off to Quebec and then have my parents and Brian here leave me 
<laughs> I was pretty sad that day. Um, but then the next day I met, uh, was it the next day? Yeah. I met Ed and Eric, the two English speaking other fellow classmates that year. Um, that was the day that it was me and I sudden, all of a sudden the two other English speaking people in the class were two, um, guys. <laughs> I was kind of, you know, I was like very, you know, quite young and, you know, unsure of myself and all these things. So, um, but it didn't take long before we warmed up and became friends, right, Ed? Yeah, that, that's definitely a fair statement. Uh, I guess I was the old man of the group at the time because <laughs> I would have been, I guess, you're nineteen, uh, just after turning nineteen. Mm -hmm. um, so at the time, I was uh, had just completed my second year of university. Okay. Um, I the interesting part about that is given uh, my evolution as a person, I'm not quite sure if I was a whole lot wiser than <laughs> Eric or Carrie at the time, even though I was uh, four to five years older than both. But uh, we'll leave that for further <laughs> yeah. parts of the discussion down the road. We're not going to start psychoanalyzing you or me back then or yeah, now, I guess. Yeah, how wise or mature someone was oh, based I, on the number of their age. I don't mind admitting that I was quite immature for 19 at the time. <laughs> and but what I, pe what I, I was 19 and it feels like ages ago and I don't, I feel like I was pretty immature too, so. <laughs> <laughs> but what people never don't usually hear is that um, people that, you know, my age, 14 at the time, can't do get guide dogs. Um, normally people are a bit older, but, um, but yeah, we, the three of us met there that summer and, uh, like I said, I was quiet, kind of, I mean, I always t said myself to be shy, but obviously once I get warmed up, I'm not, but, uh, Eric and Ed were a lot more, um, outgoing, which helped me sort of, um, relax and get comfortable talking about myself. And, and then, so basically we would go into town with our our canes or our guide dogs and start practicing on the streets and doing routes. And while the class, while the instructor had a few of us out at a time, the rest would often sit. Um, they'd, we'd find a nice outdoor patio uh, and we would sit and have a drink and just talk. So that's basically a lot where we um, got to know each other. Plus in the evenings, I think, I don't know, Ed, if you remember this, but I think the first week or two, week or so we were, hang out every night and we would uh, maybe talk in a little into the night longer than we should have. And we, I think we got a bit of a warning that, you know, you, sh you should be getting better, getting to sleep earlier so you can be fresher for class. I don't know if you remember that reprimand or was it just me? Uh, I don't remember it, but I'm not going to say it didn't happen. <laughs> I guess what people remember uh, depending on their experiences yep. it very well could have happened because given the fact that the three of us were um, predominantly English-speaking and the rest of our classmates and most of the staff there were uh, predominantly French-speaking with a couple of exceptions, yeah. uh, the language barrier definitely brought us close together as a small group. Yeah. Plus, you know, you're teenagers, so you like to hang out and... But, yeah, it's really um, yeah, interesting because I, like Carrie had mentioned before, how I've quote unquote copied her or 
do a lot of the same thing. So me going three years later, it was a similar situation where there were, I think there were a few more English people actually, maybe three other people that spoke fluent English when I was there. So, um, but it was kind of the same thing where it's nice to try and integrate, but when there's a language barrier, you end up connecting more with the. Well, we learned we learned French in school um, for several years, which should have I wish it would have helped me more. Did, did you know French at the time, Ed? Uh, I know a bit of French, like I did advanced placements and stuff in high school, and yeah. I did quite well with the subject, so I knew enough French, I guess, to be able to carry on a, a basic conversation with the people that were there, and I guess I used the experience to. I guess become more fluent in the language. Unfortunately, yeah. I haven't been back to Quebec in the same 22 years we spoke of earlier. So I guess most of the gains I made in speaking French are probably a moot point right now. Yeah, so we met that summer and we were there for about a month. Uh, and I got to say, I say this and now I feel like it's weird to say, but I went there with low self-esteem and I expected that I, w I, I didn't really t truly think I would be coming home with a dog from the very beginning when my instructor suggested it, I didn't really have the faith in myself to be like, yeah, I could definitely do that. She had faith in me and I, I just went for it, but I, I had fears that I wouldn't get a guide dog. Um, so did I when so, I went. Yeah. I don't know if everybody has that or not. Um, how did you, decide that at that time to get a guide dog for your first time what led up to that in my case i guess i'd finished high school and for those who don't know me uh, i grew up here in newfoundland and then i decided to go to st mary's in halifax so i had met some people in halifax that had guide dogs and met a couple of people in newfoundland prior to going to post-secondary education and once I was living on my own and, you know, needing to get from point A to point B independently, I just decided that I think I prefer working with a dog, which is what ultimately led me to apply to several guide dog schools. Oh, okay. I applied to Canadian guide dogs in Ottawa at the time. I applied to the CI in Morristown, New Jersey. And, of course, I applied to Mira, which is what led to Carrie and I meeting in 1998 and as wow. most people do um, Mira was the first school which basically accepted me into a class date so when the opportunity came up I was finished my university for the summer so I opted to um, accept their offer and travel to Quebec to uh, train in 1998. Okay. Yeah, like I pointed out, um, Mira was my main, I think may, really my only option to get a guide dog at 14. But um, if you were over 16, you could apply and you could go to any of the guide dog schools. Uh, so yeah, I didn't, uh, it's like, I guess if you're going to university, right, you, you applied to several different places to do that, but um I never asked you how you to Mira, so that's that's good. Um, and how did you feel going in? I didn't feel uncomfortable going in. I knew enough people that had dogs, and being that I was a little bit older, yeah, I was pretty set 
with, okay, uh, I've lived on my own for a couple of years. I know this is what I want. Yep. I don't see any reason why it shouldn't work out. Right. So I won't say I was overconfident going in, but I probably because I was a little bit older, didn't share the same anxieties that uh, Brian and Kerry have previously described. Hmm. So what was your what was your experience gr- uh, growing up then? Um, so you took mobility um, lessons, orientation and mobility is what they call it um, for blind people. Um, you took yeah. that through throughout school growing up? Uh, yeah, I probably wasn't a great student though. I wasn't uh, growing up, say, as a teenager, etc. I wasn't a big fan of uh, using a cane, period. I'd say I used it when I went to school and any other time. Uh, I When I came home, I stuck it in the corner and... You know, until I had to travel independently as I got older, I was more of a person who would prefer to, you know, follow someone, follow their voice or take their elbow, whatever the case may be. Uh, I was one of these people who didn't want to stand out um, because I was using a cane, even though I've never had vision from birth. I had no issues with... um, Actually the fact I had no vision, but I didn't want the cane being, I guess that it's a symbol to others that you have no vision. I didn't want to stand out. So I basically didn't like using it and kind of refused to use it unless I had to. <laughs> Sounds a little like me. Yeah. I was going to say it. <clears throat> people have their, have different reasons, but there's a similarities always um, where the cane does make blind people stand out a little more, maybe even though, people generally might notice that they're blind anyway but it can be something that's hard to accept um after a certain at a certain point growing up and i know carrie you've been through that for me for whatever reason i never really cared too much about people seeing me with a cane um and you you did say ed that you were born uh, blind as well right yeah i have retinopathy prematurity right right well um like I said, there's so much we could talk about about that summer, but I'm getting to this point specifically because it it was difficult for all of us. Um, so the um, schedule of um, being at a guide dog school is pretty rigorous, right? We're, we're pretty busy from morning till dinner, supper at night or whatever. Um, so I ended up getting a guide dog that I, I went home with at the end, Crush. And you did you try... Because then we used to try us with multiple dogs. Do you remember being tried with different dogs, any of their names, or do you just remember what you ended up with, kind of? Uh, I just remember uh, the dog that I worked with um, during the class. I don't remember. I remember meeting other dogs, right? But I don't remember actually working any other dogs in harness during the time I was there. Uh, okay. Do you, do you want to tell us a bit about the dog you ended up getting and? Um, you know, how, how you two started working together, how it was for the first little while. Okay, sure. Um, well, basically, um, I was matched up with a uh, cross between a Labrador Retriever and a Burmese Mountain Dog. So, if you are familiar with both of those breeds, 
Uh, the dog's name was Schnapps, and he was a male, a fairly large dog. Yeah. He very closely resembled a lab physically, as far as the shape of his body and, you know, his legs, etc., etc. And very similar to a lab in personality. However, uh, unlike the short-haired coat that most slabs have, uh, his coat was a bit longer and it had some extra feathering, uh, particularly around his back legs and up under his stomach. Uh, his coat more closely resembled a Burmese mountain dog, if you're familiar with both breeds. However, uh, he was all black. And if you didn't look, if you weren't really a knowledgeable dog person, you'd probably mistake him for a black lab. Yeah. That's and he the, was probably about 75 pounds. Yeah, he was big. That was the breed that Mira um, had that I hadn't heard of before. I hadn't heard of a Bernese Mountain Dog before that. So I don't yeah, think. and they, they were big on the combination of those, those two uh, breeds of dog. Yeah, I think they, they like the qualities in both breeds, so they would. They had a nursery right there on site and everything. And I don't know. But yeah, we, I don't know if um, if Ed if, at all, if you've ever if you've kept up with Mira at all, but I don't remember <laughs> them very well because that was two thousand one, and I haven't been back. So, um, I believe they're still around. They are still around. I have. Uh, I know a few people in New Brunswick who go there for their dogs. Oh yeah. Uh, so Mira does still exist. <laughs> And I know that they are still crossing the lab in the Burmese Mountain Dog. Hmm. Um, the other thing that I am aware of, I think now because um, they've been doing it for around 25 years, I think the breed is actually now, because it's gone through the eight generations, required for a breed to receive uh, kennel club status as an actual uh, breed. That's interesting. I think the breed has actually received um, actual kennel club status. So I guess in Canada it would be the uh, CKC, Canadian Kennel Club. In the States it's the AKC. Of course, some people that are listening in context to the AKC may be familiar with the uh, the West, Westminster dog show that they have every year um, and a few other large scale dog shows. Uh, those are kennel club events as well. Yeah, but it's Mira, uh, it's Mira and their Labrinese. Kind of similar in context for those um, who may be familiar with them. The Labrinese becoming a breed is kind of similar the way that, uh, you know, you see. Um, Labradoodles now and Golden Doodles, which is a cross mm -hmm. between the Labrador Retriever and a Poodle or the Golden Retriever and a Poodle, which basically makes a dog which is hypoallergenic, so they're popular with people that have allergies. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I know they, I believe they make, they do have guide dogs um, from those breeds as well in some places for. Yep. Yeah, some schools. Some schools do train the standard poodle um, as guide dogs for people uh, with allergies. So if you have allergies there, it's not just a matter of it being a want. They want some sort of medical documentation to mm. prove that you have an allergy. Because, of course, um, being that poodles don't shed, um, there are cases, I'm sure, where people that just don't want to clean up dog hair 
would prefer to yeah, have a poodle as opposed to, to take advantage. a lab or a golden retriever or a German Shepherd. Well, yeah, I mean, that is one of the things I, I don't enjoy about having a, a dog. So I that's one of the things that's, it's you know, it's not a big deal, but it's... Um, so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into whether you get a guide dog and whether you get another one or four in your case. Um, but I'm interested in how that summer, well, it didn't go on to affect your future t- choices, but basically they would they, they tried to match us up with the dog that we would um, be going home with within the first week. Uh, you know, things don't always go smoothly with that, but... Um, they try to match the dog to your personality and you test it, uh, you know, the two walk around on, on their, on the mirror grounds first, and then you go into town and walk with them. So, uh, how long was it? Do you remember before you realized something wasn't going well for you that summer? Okay. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't remember. Yeah. It's kind of exactly how many days. (laughs) Um, It's only 22 years ago. Yeah, but uh, I guess we were there for approximately a month. So I guess toward the end of the second week, I knew that things weren't going as well as either I would have liked or the training staff would have liked. And mm-hmm. basically, what I'm referring to is during my trip to Mira. The staff there identified some concerns with my orientation and mobility where um, they didn't think my orientation and mobility were good enough at the time to be matched with a guide dog. So about two weeks in, they explained to me that, um, you know, schnapps and I wouldn't be going home together as an item. Um, But they did give me the opportunity to stay until the end of class, become more familiar with the the concepts behind working with a dog, mm-hmm. and also gave me the opportunity, of course, to work with a mobility instructor to improve my mobility. Now, of course, with that said, for the benefit of people that are listening, the there are several factors, like I said, that I should point out, namely that Quebec uh has some you know very i'll say crazy drivers and <laughs> number two the other difference between either newfoundland or nova scotia which is where i was living at the time i was back and forth uh, in comparison to southern quebec southern quebec has a lot more rounded uh curbs to intersections and they have a lot more areas where there's actually no slope from the sidewalk to the street where it's actually flat as opposed to a curb cut, which most people are familiar with, uh, to assist users that, you know, use wheelchairs for mobility aids. So I found in a lot of cases, especially on quieter streets, it was very difficult to tell the, uh, where the sidewalk ended and where the street began. If you had no, uh, auditory traffic clues and the other thing was a lot of the intersections in quebec aren't exactly straight mm-hmm. so um the staff identified a concern where i tended sometimes to veer when i was crossing the street with a cane mm-hmm. um 
and they identified that as a concern as far as me getting a guide dog, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree that it's an overly valid concern because, of course, when you work with a guide dog, uh, the guide dog will usually um, pull you in the correct direction so you're not veering. But, you know, they have their beliefs, I have mine. Um, mm -hmm. So after I found out that I wasn't going home with snaps, uh, I stayed till the end of the training, uh, which I guess in the long run benefited me as a person. Because you could have been, you could have gone right home at that point. I wouldn't have blamed you, I guess. Yeah, some people might be discouraged enough at that point and say, okay, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to get a dog, I'm out of here, like... You know. Yeah. Plus, plus, it's difficult to, I, you know, it, it must have been difficult that, to stay there for the rest of the class, um, watching all of us and knowing you weren't getting it. Uh, I don't know. You know. We're coming. We're coming to the half halfway point of the show, so um, we will follow up on that Ed's experience there in '98, and then follow <laughs> up onto how that resulted in him actually getting. Yeah. Four dogs. It's a happy ending. After that, so. Things do turn around, and um, thanks for listening to Outlook. We're speaking with Ed Barnes from Newfoundland, and we'll be right back after these promos here on Outlook. Welcome back to Outlook here on Radio Western. We are speaking with Ed Barnes from Newfoundland and continuing with his guide dog experience back in 1998 at Mira in Quebec, where he met Carrie. Um, so we kind of left off where you, they had told you that you wouldn't be able to bring a dog home, but you were still there working on skills for the rest of the time. So do you happen to recall at the time feeling really like, obviously that wasn't what you were hoping for. So was it really tough at that time or you, what sort of uh, memories do you still have from? Uh, I don't have a lot of memories of it. I remember the day that um, we had a meeting, uh, myself, and I think it was one of the instructors, and uh, there was a psychologist that worked there as well, and they gave me the bad news. Uh, and that was quite emotional, obviously, because yeah, I had went there uh, assuming that I was bringing a dog home, I remember that day, and I remember working with Snaps for probably the next week and a half, two weeks, but I don't remember much about um, the rest of those week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. I actually don't remember when or if... I told Eric and Carrie, my two English classmates, that yeah. I wasn't going home with the dog. So maybe, Carrie, you can interject and I that in. I think, you know, they used to take each of us off for certain uncertain occasions for a meeting or whatever to discuss something. Um, so we started sensing something going on with you. Um, you know, you could sort of just sense something was not going well. Um, but I never would have dreamed either. Um, and then, yeah, I don't remember the actual moment either. I, I have this one memory of being in Eric's room and talking to you about it. That might've been the first time we heard officially. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, it, it was difficult. We, by that point we cared about you and 
you know. Um, yeah, and it's it's also interesting just to interject here briefly that I, when I went three years later, it was a, a similar situation where there was one person in our class. Um, she actually lived in Quebec, so she didn't travel as far to to get there, but um, she she wasn't given a dog either, and uh, it's. So I kind of went through that experience being close with someone in the class who didn't get one. So after that all happened, um, how did you feel when you went back home? Did you did did that give you extra inspiration to really like get back into mobility and really start working on things, or how did how did things go between then and when you ended up getting your first um, actual dog? Okay, well, I guess the first few days when I went home and you know. I didn't have a dog. Uh, that was quite emotional. Um, and I guess I really didn't start uh, doing any extra mobility training until I went back to university in Halifax. And uh, I worked mostly with Pam Boyd at CNIB in Halifax for six or seven months uh, outside of my university class time um and of course as i mentioned earlier um when i initially started my guide dog journey i'd applied to some other schools as well so basically my options were if i wanted to go back to mira the following summer uh they were willing to come down and assess me and see if my mobility had improved to a point where they would have me back to make attempt number two at getting a dog or I could consider going to Canadian Guide Dogs in Ottawa where I had applied or to the CI in New Jersey. So basically in about March of 1999, I had also gotten accepted to Canadian Guide Dogs in Ottawa and basically, I thought about my options, and I guess I was more comfortable with the idea that Canadian Guide Dogs was an English school, so mm -hmm. there was no language barrier, etc. So even though uh, Mira had given me the first opportunity, I decided to uh, go to Canadian Guide Dogs in Ottawa for uh, my next attempt at getting a dog. And that was in so, 1999 that you went there, or 2000? 1999. Okay, so just the year after then. So yeah, just the year after. So I went there uh, about a week or two after I finished university. So I flew back to Newfoundland, spent a week or two with my family. Then I mm -hmm. flew to Ottawa and started uh, to train at Canadian Guide Dogs. And... I had pretty good experience. Um, I trained with uh, Landra Pearson, who I guess is now Landra Berwick. Um, and she's still at Canadian Guide Dogs, actually. <clears throat> and it was a good experience. I learned a lot. Um, I was matched with a male cross. He was a golden or, I guess, cross between a Labrador Retriever and a Golden Retriever. So if you picture a black lab with uh, some extra feathering that makes them look a little bit like a Golden Retriever, 
and a little bit of a finer coat than a lab would have. Uh, that was what Inca looked like. Inca. And um, so I came home with Inca and worked with him in my home environment in Newfoundland for uh, probably three months. And then I went back to university in Halifax. And basically I worked with Inca there up until the university semesters ended. Um, unfortunately, Inca had some distraction issues once I came back to Newfoundland, living in a more rural environment. So he only worked for a year. Uh, sadly, the day before one of the trainers was coming down to work with Inca and I regarding the distraction issues, um, I went outside with him and we were just out on the patio of my parents' house and I went inside for a couple minutes to get a drink or whatever. It was a washroom and while I was inside, Inca decided he would uh, back out of his training collar and he went down in front of my parents' house. I was not with him and uh, I guess he tried to run across the road and uh, a gentleman hit him driving a like a flatbed truck with uh, some stuff on it. So obviously he wasn't able to stop as quickly as someone in a car or a regular sized truck would be able to. And sadly he was killed instantly. Um, and got the dog. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, so how did you feel at that point? Just a bad luck issue yeah, here? I was going to say, you, I mean, that's, you kept going. especially the fact that um, you, you did end up getting, going through more dogs that um, the first two experiences seemed like they were pretty um, unexpected and unfortunate in a lot of ways. So that's, that shows a lot of um, strength and determination to still push on and end up getting more dogs after all of that. Well, I guess the thing is, having worked with a dog, both in a city environment and in a rural environment, I had worked with a dog long enough to know that this is clearly my preferred method to travel. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I wanted another dog. So I proceeded to reapply to the school in Ottawa, but of course it's a smaller school. So the waiting time is a bit longer. And there was also some question marks surrounding uh, Inca's accident. Um, so at that point I applied back to Canadian guide dogs in Ottawa. I applied to the Singai Morrison, New Jersey. And I applied to Guide Dogs for the Blind, which is in San Rafael, California. And as luck would have it, um, both uh, American schools, being that they're a little bit larger, accepted me. I had to make a choice between a class date starting on January 6th in New Jersey at the CNI or a class date starting on January 8th of 2000 uh, in San Rafael, California. And what made my decision really easy is, of course, I live in Newfoundland, so we get lots of snow and stuff and cold weather in the winter. So I figured going to the CNI was a better choice because their climate and their weather conditions are more similar to what I live in uh -huh. as opposed to possibly getting a dog that had never seen snow. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting thing you bring up in earlier how you were talking about the rural area versus um, in, in a city. And there's so many different factors when getting a dog. Like, for, for example, when I got my guide dog, um, I was just in the small town and everything, but then I moved to Toronto, Toronto in Ontario here, and and I brought my guide dog there, but she didn't she didn't adjust in Toronto very well because she wasn't trained for such a big city. So all of these factors and um, and being aware of what the dog's going to be going through after the schooling is. But you know that's great because a lot of people would be like, "Ooh, I'm going to California. I want to go to yeah." You know, the first, you... I thought that's maybe what you were going to say. <laughs> that you went you to made California. a practical very very um appropriate choice that makes sense there yes so i went ahead and i went to the singai in uh morristown new jersey and i guess for anyone that's curious more about the singai you can find them on the web at www.singai.org and they are north america's oldest guide dog school they've been in existence since 1929 and they've trained well over you know, 15,000 dogs with uh, blind people in their approximately 90 years of existence. So I decided to go there. So what kind and of, um, did, like, were you in New York City and things? I heard, I thought I heard someone who went to New Jersey say that, that they took you into New York City for... Yes. Um, well, I'll start out, I guess, by saying... Um, they start out uh, just working around the campus. They have a couple of uh, leisure paths and things where they take you in the beginning, and then they take you into, I guess, quieter neighborhoods, and then they work up to right. working in the city of Morristown or the town of Morristown. So you're dealing with, you know, loaded intersections, etc. And then toward the end of class, they do uh, do some work in New York City, um, in my first class, um, we took a train from Morristown into New York City. We started off at the Port Authority. So we walked that would intimidate the, me. We walked through the underground um, area of what was then the World Trade Center wow. in January of 2000. Wow. So keep in mind that uh, eight months later, of course, that was the epicenter of the 9-11 attacks. So um, I remember the day that that happened, reflecting back on my experience yeah, walking through the World Trade Center with my earlier. new seeing eye dog. Uh, for those who were wondering, my second dog was a yellow lad female. Her name was Ruth, and she was about... Ooh, 65 pounds, I guess. Um, so we walked through the underground portion of the World Trade Center. Then we walked a few blocks in Manhattan. Then we took a subway. And as we, um, after the subway trip, we came back to the Port Authority. And basically the idea is you get to see uh, and learn how to follow your dog in the busiest of busy mm -hmm. settings to uh, see how your dog reacts and also to see how you react as a handler uh, to your dog. Um, so it's, I guess, the 
ultimate test before you go home with your dog. So yeah, we do do New York City wow. uh, at least once, sometimes twice. Um, and I found that quite exhilarating. Basically, yeah. I figure if your dog can make it New York City, yeah, really, you're I was, pretty well. I was uh, talking about Tor- Toronto earlier and New York City. Good a whole to other. go. So uh, basically. I got Ruth in January of 2001, and her and I worked together until approximately 2009, I guess. Okay, mm-hmm. so you, finally you had a nice long stretch with a, a guide dog. and Exactly. Um, so that must have been um, So oh, I had good. a few health issues at the time, so I didn't go back immediately and get dog number three. Um, I waited till the following year, which would have been... 2010 then i went back to the seeing eye in new jersey and this time i got a male black lab his name was weston and weston was i guess about 75 pounds a really tall uh, gentle black lab um with a really hard pull which is what i like in a dog i like a really hard pull where it's easy to follow the dog's pull mm-hmm um, and I worked with him until 2017 or so. And then in June, July of 2017, I went back to the seeing eye for dog number four. And now I have Voyager, uh, another male black lab. And Voyager is about 65 pounds. He's a little bit smaller than Weston around the same size as Ruth would have been. So you really, um, you really connected with the the school in New Jersey. Then it sounds like exactly. you keep going back there instead of yeah, trying I something keep else going or... back there. Um, obviously, they've uh, they've been training dogs for a very long time, um, and I've been pleased with the dogs I've received so far. So I, at this point, I see no reason to look at going anywhere else, uh, even though for the benefit of our listeners, there are uh, probably nine or ten guide dog schools in the U.S., which are options for Canadians. And there's also right. There's leader dogs. There's yeah. Our friend Steve went to that one. There's also one to in Canada. You've got Miro, which is predominantly French, but English people can go there. You have Canine Vision Canada in Oakville. You have the school in Ottawa that I went to, and for people out on the west coast, there's BC Guide Dogs as well, which I'm not real familiar with. Oh, is there? I don't yeah. know if I... Yeah, again, Carrie and I, we've both been kind of out of the guide dog world because neither of us went for a second dog yet. We're not as as uh, determined, I guess, or something. Um, it's one of those things I've never quite, uh, never had out of the question. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's always a decision to make, but... Um, yeah, it's just really neat to get perspectives on that. And uh, we're down to about our last just under 10 minutes for the show. We have Ed Barnes on here as our guest from Newfoundland. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's anything else on the guide dogs we want to touch on or maybe get into something else for the last few minutes. We probably will have Ed on a future show because there's always so much to talk about. Uh, I say we're pretty much sticking to the guide dog theme today, but that's all right. Um yeah, no, I think it's great that you've had perspective from three different schools now. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing you get, to, countries. you get to learn and um, figure out is that every school 
has its own methods of teaching, their own beliefs kind of in, in certain ways. And um, they all they all have their benefits, I'm sure. And some, some, some are just work better for certain people. So yeah, it's interesting to hear the differences between. Yeah, so I guess I'll just briefly fill in the blanks for, I guess, anyone wondering uh, my background uh, to slightly change from the guide dog uh, theme a little bit. Um, I did uh, three years university. I started out doing commerce, but found some of the management science and economics courses to be a bit challenging. I think one of the economics courses I tried to pass it twice, and one of the management science courses I tried to pass that one twice. So after two years of floundering in commerce, I decided to try uh, an art degree. I was going to major in political science. Did that for a year. Uh, my marks weren't great either because I liked to party a little too much. <laughs> so uh, I rather unceremoniously failed at a university. Not that I look at it as an overly negative thing. Obviously, I I met a lot of people and learned a lot of things from people um, during the experience. Um, so after that, I came back to Newfoundland and uh, I did a two-year IT diploma with uh, Ruth, my yellow lab, at my side. And I, um, I've been working in IT since 2003. I spent three years with X-Wave, which is now part of the Bell Group of Companies. And I also, uh, from 2003 to 2006, and then in 06, I left that and took a job doing IT support with the provincial government here in Newfoundland. So uh, I've been there for about 14 years. Wow. And I guess... The one thing I would say, I guess, in addition to the fact I was never a big fan of traveling with a cane, I guess I've always found that even though you stand out just as much or more when you travel with a dog, mm -hmm. I always found that socially, um, in the context of sighted people, sometimes I think they're more comfortable and more likely to engage because they see the dog and they don't um, see the vision issue as much, even though obviously most people know what the dog does when they see a dog with a harness on. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's helped um, for sure. Um, and I'm a fairly outgoing person anyway. I guess that's why Brian and Kerry invited me to do this. <laughs> um, so, I guess I always prefer to uh, work with a dog, but I realize as well that everyone's choices are different. You have to like animals, and you have to, you know, like caring for a dog, because, you know, with a cane, when you get home, you can stick it in the corner and forget about it, whereas a dog has needs, and basically... You get as much out of your relationship with your guide dog as you put in it. If you're not willing to put work into the relationship to make work uh, fun for your dog, uh, he or she's not going to want to do it and do it well. And every dog is different. So uh, it isn't um, 
a snap decision. The other thing I sometimes see, which I'll bring up publicly, I guess, on the program is I see cases sometimes where family members are suggesting to someone who's recently lost their vision or whatever that they get a dog or they think a dog would be great for their son or their daughter or their relatives or whatever the case might be. And as much as that's great to want to encourage someone in that direction, it's a very personal decision and it's really a decision that the blind or visually impaired person has to make in their own time. Yeah, it's not the type of thing where you not say right for everybody. You'll get a dog if you just lost your vision. Like, oh, go get a dog. It'll make everything perfect or great or something. It's still a whole learning experience in itself. And Well, because the problem is is that people, the guide dog is not just going to take, it's not like it babysits you and it drags you everywhere and you don't have to have any um, responsibility in that, right? Like, it doesn't solve the problem. It, it's not going to just take you everywhere. You have to have to know where you're no, going. You have, to, you have to have goals and you have to know where you're going and you have to... You have to work as a team and yeah. basically I guess the other thing I always say to people is, you know, if you're unfamiliar where you're going, uh, I always say to people, you know, stop, put your dog at sight, uh, listen to what's around you. And if you need assistance, you know, try to see if there's someone around that you can ask for assistance uh, rather than just moving around aimlessly and getting lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important for people to realize, okay, one, I'm lost, and two, I should stay in one place because I'm more likely to get assistance if I stay in one place as opposed to um, moving around aimlessly. Yeah, for sure. It's sometimes good just to stop and take a moment and recollect yourself and uh, see if there is anyone to help instead of just going for it if you're uncertain. Um, so, yeah, we're down to the last couple minutes of the show. I thought maybe we could just finish up quickly mentioning um, the all the times that we're all going through right now. Um, you live on, on your own, I believe, um, right, Ed? So just kind of curious, um, before we wrap things up, how you've been dealing the last few months with, with COVID going on and um, how it's, if it's had any effect on your working or your life in general? Or um... uh, As far as work goes, uh, like most people, uh, I'm working from home during COVID-19, but I do work in IT, so... We are classified as essential uh, with the provincial government in Newfoundland. So uh, because I do direct IT support, uh, I don't know from one day to the next. Um, if something comes up that can't be fixed remotely, there is a possibility from one day to the next that I may get called into the office to uh, do some work. But keep in mind now that, uh, you know, the building I work in usually has three to 400 people in it, whereas... Most days during COVID-19, because you require manager approval for access, there's probably 10 people in the building instead. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, that's how it's affected my work. Uh, Luckily, of course, uh, I still get paid, etc., so I don't have any economic hardships. As far as personally, I have noticed uh, a big effect. I know, though, that a lot of blind and visually impaired people are struggling with uh, the whole concept of social distancing. Uh, and, of course, the other thing I'll mention is that guide dogs aren't trained for social distancing. So um, I'll just bring that up to your listeners. Um, so if you see someone 
in your travels who is working with a guide dog, uh, it would be very kind of you to uh, maybe uh, let them know you're present and uh, let them know, for example, how far you are from them, whether you're in front of them or behind them. Um, and as far as the rest of it goes, it hasn't changed much. Like, for example, because I have no vision, if I'm going to grocery shop, I usually go to customer service and ask someone to go around who works in the store to help me find the things I need to buy. So basically my dog can follow the person from a distance. And usually what I suggest is that the grocery person that's helping me uh, pull the cart and then um, there's the, dis the length of the shopping cart between Voyager and only plus mm -hmm. a foot or two. Yeah, it's so a pretty good the um a dog can use the cart as a target to follow and also of course uh because the stores aren't as noisy during COVID nineteen, it's pretty easy if you maintain a conversation with the person you're following mm -hmm. to follow the person or even just the sound of the wheels of the shopping cart. Right. In a lot of cases are fairly helpful. So uh I haven't had too many issues with social distancing. But I think the key as a blind person to be able to social distance successfully is to be aware of your surroundings. In addition to the fact that I just recommended to sighted people who see me, me with a seeing eye dog to announce their presence, I usually make it a point when I come into an area to, you know, excuse myself and ask, you know, is there anyone in front of me mm -hmm. uh, or things of that nature? Um so I can social distance the same as the rest of the sighted public. Okay. And most people are pretty good about uh, announcing their presence if they're behind you in a lineup or whatever the case might be. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of unfortunate that so much attention has been paid to blind people, quote unquote, unable to social distance because I don't necessarily agree with that notion. I realize it's difficult for people if they're losing their sight, so they're just adjusting to living with sight loss. But for someone that's never had vision, uh, I don't think the social distancing is necessarily as difficult as uh, some people in the media would make it out to be. But I realize my view may not be the popular view in saying that. All right. Well, it's great to get uh, someone else's perspective on on all of this stuff and um, learned a lot today. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for again. This up. Thanks again for um, you know, talking about what happened there at Mira because I think it's important for people to hear that you know these things happened and then you sort of you know rebounded and look at you now. So, um, but I'm glad we met and we have a lot more to catch up on and we will. So. We sure do, and I guess. Kerry is right. Uh, the last comment I'll leave everyone with is, uh, you know, if you're a blind or visually impaired person that's considering getting a dog or if you've tried it once and you still think you want a dog and for whatever reason it hasn't worked out, um, you know, keep your, you know, nose to the ground to keep your head up. And, you know, if it's something you want and you're willing to put the effort into it, uh, you can do it. Um, yep. I think well inevitably most people are made stronger by their failures or... Of course. 
Um, the other thing is um, you can always take learning experiences away from uh, things where you may have failed in life and apply them to other facets of your life. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Ed, for being our guest. And uh, we'll be back next week. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.